All right, I'm going to get us started. Um, I want to have that up in front of you while we talk, because I want to break it down a little bit in terms of structure. Um, in some ways, you might go, just that's really simple, and that, that's the intent, by the way. The thing I've learned about movements, I've done a lot of studies of movements around the world. When we started SOMA, I didn't want to plant a church. I wanted to be, hopefully be the beginning of, of movement, because I, I really didn't have, I was at Willow Creek before I went to SOMA to plant the church I did in Tacoma, and I don't want to in any way say anything negative about Willow Creek. I learned a lot while I was there, but my concern was that if you, if you make your goal to plan a church, you'll get, a, you'll get maybe an event or a good body of people. If you make it your goal to transform a city, you've got to think more like a movement and less like an event. And so it changes the way you think about what you do. And so for me, it was everything's got to be transferable, meaning it can be done anywhere. Reproducible, meaning anybody can do it. Uh, scalable meaning it can be done in small levels and large levels, and sustainable, meaning it doesn't need to be continually fed with outside money. Eventually, it's got to be able to be done within the people that are doing it themselves. And so one of the reasons why I say all that is because I think too often what we're trying to do is so complex for people they can't reproduce it. And, uh, and it's no wonder that they look at, quote-unquote, the, the pastor or leader as the professional, and I, I could never do what you do. And we've got to make it accessible to the everyday person. And so even the way I'm describing this is just trying to make it something you could reproduce in terms of how you would explain it. And so in, in Seattle, in the greater Seattle, I'll just say the Puget Sound, we're calling it Saturate the Sound. So this is really our vision, Saturate the Sound. And what we're aiming for is that we will see one, one missional community per thousand people, okay? Now, you might go, what is a missional community? You could call this a gospel community on mission. Basically, it's a group of people who love like family, are gonna display the kingdom of God in tangible form through serving, and then are gonna share the gospel to make disciples who make disciples. That's really it. It's those, it I, we use our baptism as a way of informing that. We have baptized in the name of the Father, so we love like family. Baptized in the name of the Son, so we serve our King in tangible forms as servants. And baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, because we have been sent as missionaries, just like Jesus sent. So Father, family, Son, servants, Holy Spirit, missionaries. So we basically say a missional community is a family of servant missionaries sent as disciples who make disciples. Now we as, we as a group of churches are agreeing that that's what we want to get after is we want to see one of those per thousand people in the Puget Sound area. So that's 3,600 uh, in terms of our goal, 3,600 gospel communities on mission or missional communities or community groups with the mission. I mean, I don't really care what you call them, but the point is they're not just Bible studies c committed to Christians hanging out together. They're not just small groups of, of church people. It's a group of people who identify a lost group of people that they together are going to reach. That's, that's really what it is. So they, we're, we're literally, as we look at every place, we're actually saying let's map out the city and figure out, oops, map out the city and figure out where are we lacking gospel communities on mission. 
So every neighborhood, we're, we're, in, we're in the process right now with working with all the not-for-profits that are saying they want to be a part of this, the denominations, the church planning organizations, and we're saying we're going to map out every single part of the entire Puget Sound and ask ourselves, where are the Christians that are on mission and where are there pockets where we aren't on mission? In every neighborhood, every business, every place of education, every political sphere, I mean, all the things that I listed in the, in the earlier diagram, those seven domains of society were just saying, where do we have Christians on mission together to make disciples who make disciples? And where we don't, that's where we're going to start putting our energy to establish gospel communities on mission. For us, that's the beginning of a church plant. The problem for what I see in many cases is church planning starts with how do we get Sunday pulled off instead of how do we make disciples who make disciples leading to a church. And so when you start with the wrong goal, you end up measuring the wrong thing, which means you build into the church the wrong DNA from the very beginning. Uh, and so we're, just that, we're mapping the city in every place. We're making sure every church that's saying yes is saying yes to gospel saturation, which equals every man, woman, and child having a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed, measured by one to a thousand ratio of missional community to population. Now, you might ask, why did you pick that number? If you do any study of movements, when they hit the tipping point is when they got to one church per thousand people. And church in most of those contexts was about 30 to 50 people. Like, it's not like when we think of church in Texas and it's like, you know, they're all several thousand or whatever. It's, it, no, it's 30 to 50 people committed. It could be even 20. You know, 20, the numbers are a little squishy depending on which part of the world you're in. But, but committed together to being disciples who make disciples. They're not just meeting together as Christians. They have identified why they're there, who they're trying to reach, and how they're going to reach them together. It's very clear. So we're going after uh, 3,600 of those in the greater Puget Sound. So when we call people to the calling of saturate the sound, we're not saying, let's get together and pray together, which we will, or let's not just do events together, which I'm sure will happen, or do training together. It's do you want to see the Puget Sound saturate with the gospel as measured by one missional community per thousand people? And the reason why I'm doing that is because I know that we all, we all it seems like when, my observation is that we tend to get unified around things like prayer, training, even church planning, and we could keep adding more, you know, events. And I would just say these are all the things that are necessary for the thing, which is saturation, gospel saturation. Like that's the thing, I believe, that we've got to get at the center and then those things support it. When I met with Dean Curry, the guy that I, I referenced before who uh, said there's only one church in Tacoma, I said, hey, Dean, I'm, I'm with you. I believe all that. But let me just ask you, uh, what, has, what are we doing to bring the church together? He said, well, we're praying and we're doing some key events at the stadium, bringing in special speakers. And you know, I said, that's all great. But I'll, I'll tell you, no church is going to change their structures, their budget, their staffing, their, their plans around those things. They're just going to add them in their schedule. If we're really going to reach the entire city together, we've got to get mission at the center and that mission is making disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. That's the mission. If we don't have that at the center, we won't readjust our lives for it. But if we make that center, then everything else will fall in line. We will pray together because you have to. We will train together because you have to, and so on and so forth. And so 
he and I were at a meeting with a bunch of, this is when I was in, in Tacoma. Now I'm not there, but I'll still be calling them into this mission. Uh, when, when he and I had a bunch of pastors together to talk about this, I said, it seems to me like that, that one of the missing pieces is we just don't know how to get on the mission of making disciples in the everyday stuff of life. And Dean said, I agree. I said, I'll tell you what, I'm willing to provide training for the churches that want to do it together and even start missional communities together as churches. And he was the only church that agreed to it. So it was just two churches that did it. And um, I was pretty sad by that, but I understood. I don't know if we know how to yet put drop down our egos and you know, give away our people. I mean, that's a big risk for a lot of us who, if we're, not, if we're honest, our salaries are dependent upon what happens in our local church. And by the way, that's the first thing you have to challenge is that you don't become a hired hand, that you're willing to do this without pay. Uh, I tell my staff regularly, would you do this job if you weren't paid to do it? And if they say no, then I say that you're the wrong person on the team because it's a hired hand, you know? Uh, you should do this because you're called to do it and then you thank God that you get freed up financially to do it. But if that becomes the priority, you're in trouble because now you're doing it as a job or a career, not a calling. So Dean, though, however, said, he said, let's do it, Jeff, let's try it. So I share all this as more of a story to, to say what can happen. So he said, Jeff, I'll tell you what, I'll give you some of our people, you train them in how to live on mission in everyday life and let's start missional communities together and see what happens. So we started working at it. Um, one of the women who was in the group uh, had been a prostitute. And uh, she came out of prostitution, was getting understanding of the gospel. Life was being transformed by it. Uh, she was amongst a bunch of other group of women who they, they really looked up to her. And some of them have come out of prostitution as well. And there was another guy in the class who had been working in the training who had been working in the prison systems. And so he had... He had, uh, would regularly see guys get out of prison, go right back to the hotel where they got, did their drugs, did their prostitution, and back in prison again a few months later. So their missional community was formed to reach the prostitutes, reach the drug addicts, and reach the convicts together. And so they basically started a missional community in the hotel where the prostitution happens and the drug deals happen, and they brought their little kids right there to that hotel. And they cooked out barbecues every Saturday and took time to pray over them and bless them and reach out to them. And here you've got an ex-prostitute, a prison guard or a prison counselor, and a bunch of druggies, <laughs> just to be honest. And it, the church grew from one mission community to a few and eventually got started, they started a church, they call it Dope Church. And you can, you can look it up. I mean, you can go look for a video and find Dope Church, and you'll find it. It's been featured all over the place. And it was two churches giving their people to get trained together and form a missional community that led to a church plant made up of prostitutes and ex-cons. So I say that because I think when the church unites around the mission, everybody gets to play. And it, it opens a door for every person in your church to be a part of the mission because when churches affirm it like that they actually start to to like reinvigorate the priesthood of the saints because what happens especially when they're from other churches coming together the people are going wait a minute this is like nothing we've ever seen our pastors must really believe in it because they're willing to give up their people to be together on mission and even leave their church to start another one so I give that as a story just to say, as you think about how you do this, you've got to think in all three spheres. One, the church has got to embrace their calling to an Ephesians 4 equipping center. I'll come back to that in a second. Two, we've got to see the equipping of every person as the job of the church. Like You've got to get your measurables right. Stop measuring the wrong things. 
And then when you do that, not only will you equip them, but you'll start to send them to every place. And I would encourage Houston, you know, those of you who are from here, if you're from another place, but the church in Houston, I would encourage you, if you haven't yet, get as many uh, uh, statistics and information, piece of information to map out your region and say where, what neighborhoods, which streets, which businesses, which schools, I mean, go all the way down the list, don't have a gospel presence. And I don't just mean don't have Christians. I mean, they don't have people on mission there in that place. And if, if the churches just said, we're going to map this place out and put on the map where the holes are, where the gaps are, and that's where we're going to collectively work toward reaching these people, that alone will change the way you work together. That, that need, when you see the gaps, and then you together look at it and say, what are we going to do together to mobilize our people to every place, uh, will change things. And then here's the deal. This, is, this works this way. As every church equips every person and sends them to every place, the church will grow up into maturity. It's just how it works. If you read that passage in Ephesians 4, the, the, at the end it says, as each part is working properly, builds itself up. So when every part of the body is working properly, it grows itself up into maturity. Now, what could this look like? I'm just going to give you what we're working through, uh, where I'm at, as we wrestle with uh, every church. Now, I spent a lot of time in the earlier session on every person, partly because I just wanted you to kind of have in your mind, what would this look like? And I tried to jar you a little bit through some examples. Hopefully you felt that. Like, wait a minute, I got to rethink this. I got to rethink that. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on every person other than to say, this for me is where we think about missional communities or gospel communities on mission. And this is where we think about a lot of accountability. Okay, so... The idea that there's a lot of accountability. The way we do it in our, our particular context is we want to get uh, 8 to 12 adults working together on mission in a particular place. It includes their families, their kids, all that. And then in accountability, we want to have them in triads, minimally of three men or three women who are meeting regularly during the week to pour into each other's lives in, in the areas of you know, what we typically know as accountability. We call them DNA groups, but other churches call them something different. I can go back to that if you want. What I want to get to is the every church piece now and just a way of thinking about equipping. And if you want, you can have your Bibles open to Ephesians 4 as I do this, but you probably have it in your head now. The way that I'd encourage you to think about equipping every person through every church is through the, the actual picture of equipping that he gives us there in Ephesians 4. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Uh, if you want to say, how do we grow people up into fullness in Christ? You actually have to grow them up into everything that Christ is. So Christ is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and teacher. Now you might go, well, how do we equip this way? Now, before I answer that, the, the thing I want you to keep in mind is this particular passage is not written to First Baptists of Houston, okay? Or Presbyterian church that we're sitting in. It was written to the church in Ephesus. It was written to the church, as it were, in Houston, Think, think citywide when you think of this equipping uh, idea versus only local. And this is where I think we get in trouble and it's why we don't work together because we think we have to be everything. We think our local church has to do it all. And I don't believe that's possible. In fact, I think God has limited the gifts he's given to your church locally so that you'll actually have to depend on the larger church at a citywide level. 
I think that's, if we could just embrace that reality and say, there's a reason why God won't give you every gift in terms of like the fullness of them. And I think it's because he wants the whole church to work together. Uh, you're gonna see, you know, you ever been with a group of people and you're like, man, they're really good at this and we're really good at that. You know, like this, some churches are Bible churches. They're great at teaching the word. Other churches seem to be incredible at evangelism. Why is that? Well, maybe God actually wants it to be that way so you need each other, right? So I, I'm convinced more and more of that. And I'm not saying that every church shouldn't represent these is what I'm gonna talk about. I think every church should represent growth in all five of these things. But I'm convinced that God gives certain gifts to certain parts of the body for the sake of the larger body. And so when you think of apostle, and some of you might be wish I wrote a little A down there, uh, but it's okay. I'm not talking about the 12. I'm talking about the idea that this is missional movement. Okay? If those of you who like... Uh, Shapes, think of this as an arrow going out, okay? The, the movement of the body outward. Uh, have you ever been around people? I'm one of these. It's like all they ever talk about is like, how is this multiplying? How is this moving out? How is this gonna reach the city? How are we gonna plant more churches? I mean, they're, they're those people. That, you need that. I mean, this church planting gathering is probably led by people who are thinking, how do we keep planting churches so that all of Houston gets reached? Right? That's, that's an impulse in this group. Think, think of your church, think of your people. So think, whenever you think about quipping, think how are our people in our church gonna learn and grow in this thing? So in, in missional movement, where in your church are they being encouraged to be going outward to the ends of the earth? This is the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts impulse. Where are they hearing that? Where are they seeing that? Where are they being trained for that? Where are they being equipped for that? And you might go, we're terrible at that. So then the second question is, who in your city is really good at that? Which church has really got leaders that know how to do that well? And have you ever invited them to come train your people? Have you ever invited them to come around your people and equip your people to tell stories of what it looks like? What if, what if, what if you were to say, let's work together in Houston and identify who's gonna equip the church to move out to the ends of the earth in Houston? And how are we gonna to come together as churches around apostolic equipping, movement level equipping, missional thinking, how to be good missionaries in our culture? Like just that one. Then you take the apostolic type. Um, by the way, if, you're, if some of you are in the room and you're going, what are the measurables here? Like, how do we know, how do we know we've done it? I would say, Two easy ones in light of what I've shared already. You're saying, did we have GCMs or missional communities started? And do we plant churches? Like, is that happening? Some of you just go like, how do we know we're actually moving forward with the apostolic impulse of Jesus? Well, new missional communities get started, new churches get planted. Is that happening? What if you, and Chad, Chad's in the room, are you back there, Chad? Like, you might, I know you guys, I've heard the population growth of Houston is faster, so fast, at least what I was heard, it's basically every week a megachurch size, right? So I would just ask, how in the world are you gonna keep up with that? Unless you've got people in your churches planting new missional communities on a regular basis, leading likely to church plants that will be happening at a, at a proportion that, that's way faster than the population growth here. Like someone's got to be thinking through that. Someone's got to be training for that. Someone's got to be uniting resources toward that. Someone's got to be talking to the churches going, we have got to get working together on this. Then there's the prophetic. I'll come back 
to this by way if you have questions later, uh, the, the prophetic side of it. So what's this? this? This is, I would say, this is the incarnational presence of the church. Another way to think about this is that this is being a holy people in a place. Okay, a lot, of, a lot of times this shows up in justice and mercy. Yeah, it shows up, you know, on one extreme, it shows up in prayer, prophetic, more of the charismatic sides. Another place it shows up in the justice and mercy, caring for the poor, the widow, the broken. And I think those two are connected because the one says, this is what the Lord has said. We better be as holy people in this place. And this is what the Lord is saying because this is what we gotta get ready for. Like I think that there's that prophetic edge. And even as I'm talking, some of you are going like, Ah, I'm nervous because you probably are like a Bible church that has a really good teaching and ministry, but not necessarily a very strong prophetic one. And there's some of you who see prophetic ministries going on, whether it's charismatic or it's justice and mercy expressions of that, and you get nervous because you feel like the gospel is not there anymore, right? You're like, they threw out the gospel and they're doing really good work, okay? And that's why you need the next part, which is the evangelist. So the evangelist says, hey, not only are we going to do incarnational presence where we're the holy people in a place long enough to make a difference, think of prophetic as the, thus saith the Lord in his word, let's go be the holy people to the world so they can see our king in tangible form in the way we bring transformation to a culture. Then think of evangelist as the one who's going to say, we are going to proclaim the gospel. Like this is all about Jesus. Jesus is going to be proclaimed over and over again. So they're thinking about, are we preaching the gospel on Sundays? Are we equipping people for gospel fluency every day? Are we developing a people that are so versed and immersed in the gospel that it's not just a tool we give them, but a life that's saturated with the gospel so they can share it any moment, any time, any day. And I, I will tell you, the majority of the people in the church don't know how to share the gospel. And, and they're having a conversation with a coworker, and they're talking about their marriage and they don't know how the, the gospel actually could be spoken into a broken marriage. That's gotta change. Like every Christian should be able to share the gospel to every single issue in life. And I know we got a long way to go, but it's our mother tongue. I mean, I have no problem speaking English to every issue of life. I should be able to speak the gospel to every issue of life because it's my mother tongue. It's what gave me birth. It's what sustains my life. It's what I'll be speaking until the day I die. And it's the very reason why I will enjoy Jesus forever. It's like, it better be the thing we know. Uh, it's why I wrote, and I, I hate promoting books, but it's why I wrote Gospel Fluency because I'm just convinced the church is so inept in this. They've been in, in the church all their life. They don't know how to share the gospel. And so, that, obviously that's one of my gifts to the church is this one, okay? So, so you can hear it coming out of me. Well, do you have people like that in your context? Do you invite them into your church? Do you ask them to train your people? I'm amazed at how many churches have access to incredibly gifted evangelists in their own church, and they never let them equip their people. It's like, and that's why they go to parachurch. That's why Young Life gets them, or Campus Crusade gets them, or whoever else gets them, that's great, but they're probably in your church. But do they ever get the platform? Do they ever get to equip? Do you share them with other churches? As soon as I find anybody who's gifted in any of these areas, I let other churches know, I'm telling you, this person would really bless you. You should invite them in, train your leaders, develop your people. Like, equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then shepherd. And this is the person who's basically saying, I want to make sure we have healthy leaders and healthy disciples. 
Okay? Uh, this, if, if, if you can start to see this, it's like we're equipping the church to go out. We're equipping the church to go deep. We're equipping the church to proclaim. And we want to make sure they're healthy while they do it. Okay? That's apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd. Okay? So I didn't write the arrows. Some of you are going like, please write the arrows in the other places. So the way that I like to do this is the prophet is the one who goes deep, holy people in a place. The evangelist is the one who proclaims the gospel and calls people in. The shepherd is the one who says, we're after the heart here. We want to make sure we have healthy leaders, healthy disciples. So if you're even thinking about how would we lead a saturation movement in Houston, ask yourself, are we equipping the people to go out? Are we being a holy people concerned with justice and mercy? in present physical ways are people able to share the gospel and the everyday stuff of life and are we actually caring for the health of leaders so one of the things we're doing just to come around this in Seattle is we're saying we want to actually identify the best gospel centered shepherds and, and counselors to start working to, to make sure every single leader in every church is healthy and we're going we're gonna to collectively do that together. We're going to even fund uh, counseling and care ministries that churches together fund so that we can create a center that has really good gospel care for our leaders so they don't keep tanking. Because too many of them are burning out because no one cared for their heart. No one held them accountable. No one was in their marriage. No one was in their life. And so we're just going to say one of the num- number one priorities is healthy leaders in healthy churches because they'll produce healthy disciples. And that's that shepherding, equipping side that we value the shepherds, we wanna equip with a shepherding perspective. And then the last one here is teacher. Now my observation is most churches have lived in these zones, shepherd, teacher. I think we're now hearing a lot more about missional living so we're getting that apostolic kind of impulse into the church. I am a little concerned that people don't know how to share the gospel, so we're on mission without Jesus, you know, or we're on mission doing really good works, but we're, now the, the evangelist is speaking right now, so of course you're going to hear that from me. And some of you are going like, I just feel like we're not teaching people the Bible well, right? They're not getting the basics so they can actually know, believe, and practice the word. Now I put all those there, by the way, because too much of our teaching is primarily informing the mind, not transforming the heart and not leading to practice. But Jesus commanded that we would teach them to obey everything he commanded. Some of the things that fall under here are, uh, do they know the biblical story? Do they have a biblical worldview? Do they know how to read their Bible? Do they know how to do spiritual disciplines? Do they know how to engage in the practices of the faith? Like, just think through, who's training that? You might go, man, that church on the road is so good at that. And we're not. Well, why not work together on that one? Why not say we want to be the fullness of Christ in all the ways we possibly can? And so the equipping and training of our church is going to represent those uh, five things. Okay? Now, I want, I want to stop there before I go further because this is, this is just how we're beginning to look at this particular circle, the every church. If every church is saying we want to grow people up into maturity in Christ, and Paul says it looks like apostle, prophet, shepherd, or evangelist, shepherd, teacher, equipping then how we work together with the other churches should represent the fullness of those five. Okay? That's actually leading to our discuss- the right kinds of discussions around partnerships. So for instance, some of you don't know who this guy is, David Fairchild leads a church on the west side of Seattle. It's called West Seattle. He's a really good theologian. Uh, and so guess what part I'm having him work on as we think through Saturate the Sound? Teacher. 
So he's working on meeting with Michael Goheen and a few other really, really great minds. And we're going to bring church-based theological education into the church in Seattle so every church can have access to theological education while they're in the church. They don't have to go away to seminary. They don't have to go to another city. I don't want people leaving my city for education. I want them to stay in the church, be practical ministers of the gospel while they're getting good theological education. So we're going to bring theologians to our church and host it for the city, not just my church. The churches are going to do that. So I'm having David lead that. Now, one of the other things he's doing, because some of you are already going, how do you unify as churches when you have different doctrines? He's actually working on a doctrinal statement that will unify all the churches so we can agree on what are the guardrails for what we're going to be about as as a movement together. We've got to figure that out because how can we get unified when we can't even agree on the fundamentals? So he's working on that. I'm not working on that because I'm not that guy. I'm better at other things. So I'm working at how do we map the city? Where do we find the, the spots? Uh, And I'm working with, you know, not just the white guy. I'm working with different races, different ethnicities to lead that together because we're not going to reach all the nations if we don't reflect the nations. So that, even that piece goes into my apostolic thinking of how we move the church to be the missional people of God to the nations. So I could keep going as I think through all the illustrations in terms of prophetic. We're saying, who are the ones already doing incredibly prophetic prophetic ministry, justice and mercy, a display of the kingdom amongst us. So I'm talking to Chris Goth, who leads uh, the Union Gospel Mission, and he's been praying for this for years in our city, wanting the church to finally come together. So as soon as we pulled him in, he said, man, I've already got all the groundwork ready to go. I've just been waiting for the church to show up. And then when I talk about all the places, I'm looking for champions in every field. So who are the businessmen and women who have been waiting for the church to take seriously mission in the business place? Well, there's, thankfully, there's already a bunch of really wealthy people who have been waiting to put money towards this work. They're just waiting for the church to figure it out. So I'm getting those people at the table. And so it's getting these three circles working together on the mission and making sure it's got an apest equipping approach It's got all the seven domains of society considered, and it's got everyday life for the person who's gonna be the missionary as we think about it. Those are the three things that we keep working on. So I'm meeting with them in a few weeks because David's coming back with a theological statement. The guys that are mapping the city are showing up with the maps. I'm showing up with the the training plan for missionaries. We're building the evangelistic training for how to do this in a variety of cultures with different language groups because I've got 27 different languages just in my neighborhood alone. So I've got to think through how does this work with the nations? I mean, I'll stop because now I'm overwhelmed just talking about it. So by the way, hopefully you are too because you're going, I could never pull that off as one church. Bingo. See, here's the deal. God wants a vision so big that you can't pull it off. He wants it so big, the church has to work together. And all the parachurches have to work together. And we all need to line up and say, it's about time that our city changed and the gospel saturated the region we live in. So that's how we're beginning to order it. I know you're going, that's not an order that looks like a mess. Um, But hopefully this part of it especially helps you think through, how do you think through equipping? How do you think, think through alignment? And then... I would like to do one more thing, but I want to stop and see if there's questions about that because I just dumped you with a bunch of stuff.